you guys have a Bible, turn to chapter 3 of Matthew. This is uh, Identity Theft Part Dose. I'm preparing for my Spanish for next week. It's about 25% of all Spanish words I know right there. Some of you guys think I'm kidding, but I'm not really kidding. <laughs> oh, man. So last week um, was part one. So if you missed it, go online. You can download it. Um, I'm going to put all my notes and stuff online, too. I've, I've had a couple of requests from people that just want to know uh, some different references and words and things. So I'll put that online. But uh, last week, we just kind of followed up from the Chris Walker, or sorry, the Kim Walker, Chris Valentin event and identity and, and talking about uh, that the enemy wants to change the way you think. What you heard and what you received here that night is, is transformational to understand that you're not a sinner saved by grace, that you're a royal priesthood, that you have certain biblical and supernatural truths and, and, and a presence about you that when the king came into your life, he transformed everything about you and the old you ceases to exist. It demands a change for how you live. What God showed our hearts and our minds, and what he's shown through us in, in our identities, it demands a response. It demands that we no longer think and act and behave the same. And so last week, we just settled in on what are the things that the enemy wants to get in your head? What is the thing that he wants you to think? Because if he can seed you with doubt, he's going to begin to take that and exploit it and just move it greater and greater parts apart. And then you're going to find yourself questioning, what was it that God even said about who I am? I don't even know anymore. So last week was all about how the enemy wants you to think, and tonight we're going to talk about the, the tactics. I'm talk about the, the methodologies that he's going to use. And so we have four of them, and so we're going to open up and just read again Matthew 3 and 4 and look at the temptation of Jesus. Because you remember that Jesus is the model. Jesus is perfect theology. How Jesus lived and his example and his model is perfect theology for you and I to learn. Amen? So open your Bibles, chapter 3. We're going to start it. At verse 16 here. And this is Jesus. He walks up to John the Baptist. And he gets baptized. And it says, verse 16, After being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and coming upon him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And you remember last week that Jesus hadn't done any miracles yet. He didn't cast out any demons. He didn't do anything like all that exciting. You know, like you look at chapter four and it's like verse 12 says Jesus begins his ministry. But yet at that moment, his baptism was the imagery, was the metaphor for you and I to come to salvation and have the, the identity of being sons and daughters bestowed upon us and the, the Holy Spirit given to us. And the moment that happens, God says, I am well pleased with you. Not because you've done anything, but because of who you are in relationship to me now. It was awesome. Love that. We're on equal playing fields, you know? It's not like we could look at all of Jesus' ministry and be like, yeah, only God said it because he'd done all these things. Uh-uh. It's awesome. Beloved son, whom I will please, that is for you and me to receive. Chapter 4, verse 1, it says, And then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That word tempted, if you remember, we did a little Greek, little dictionary. You know, parazzo or pyrazzo means, it, it means assumption that you're guilty. 
You know how like our justice system, it's, it's innocent and proven guilty? Well, this word for tempted, the enemy, is it's a guilty until proven innocent was the theme. And so the enemy, knowing that this is God's son, whom Jesus is uh, well pleased by the father, that the enemy is tempting him in a nature that's saying, you're already evil, I'm just going to prove it. And that is the nature in which you and I are tempted. The enemy tempts us from position of just proving that we're really bad. And the truth of it is that God is saying, you are really good, you're my son and my daughter. You're a royal priesthood. Sometimes you don't always act like it, but that's who you are. And after he had fasted, this is Jesus, after Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he, the Father, will give his angels charge concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8, again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and began to minister to him. One thing at the outset I think it's, it's worthy of, of noting is that when you and I are living and there's temptation, how do you know that like, the devil doesn't come and be like, Hello, it's the devil. I mean, like, it doesn't happen, right? The devil doesn't come and announce himself. I'm going to tempt you now. It would be so much easier, right, if that was the case. And so all of these things, these are things that are going to be wrestling inside of your mind, your heart, and you're going to be like, where's the source of this? I can tell you, as we look at these blueprints, they're the fingerprints of the enemy trying to, to steal you right in, trying to steal you back. And the first one is that Satan will strategically time temptation for when you are isolated and weak. There is a strategic nature that the enemy is using in his attempt to come after you and I. It says in verse 2, Matthew 4, 2 says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. He then became hungry. The enemy is so sharp in understanding your weaknesses. He studies us. He looks for that moment. He looks at that time when you're going to be more susceptible. Look at your life. You have to, to know that there's an adversary studying your moves, just like a basketball coach or a football coach will be studying a competitor and looking for the weaknesses and looking for the time because the enemy, as soon as we become sons and daughters of the king, he knows the time is ticking. Either we are going to grow in more and more love with the Father, know more and more of the devil's schemes, or we're going to fall into this, this complacency and become vulnerable. And at that moment, then we become prey. But he is so sharp in knowing that he's going to study the timing that he wants to come after you. The timing of your life is significant. Are you weary? Are you weak? Is there an area of your flesh or area of your mind? Is there an area of a relationship? Fill in the blank that is more susceptible at certain times than others. I like to say that nothing happens, happens, or nothing good happens after 10 p.m. at night. Can I get an amen for that? 
nothing good happens after 10 p.m. I don't care what you say. You know why? Because I know, like, I have, like, my little routine. I get up in the morning, and I do, like, my little study. I am never tempted right after my Bible study in the mornings. I don't know. Heavy thought there. It's just, I'm just not right for the picking right then. You know? But there's something about a nature when I'm not expecting, when I'm worn down, when I'm tired, and I'm like, what's on TV? You know, it's like at 12 at midnight or something. There's a timing about every temptation that is significant. And it'd be better that you know those vulnerabilities than the enemy does. And it's, the goal is not to have any vulnerabilities. The goal is to not be alone when those happen. The goal is to not be in isolation when it happens. Because it's your flesh and your mind that is being targeted. It's going to be targeted right at the right time. He knows that right in the middle of worship, we're not going to be like, oh man, it's so hard not to sin right now. You know, like, that'd be kind of weird, right? It's just not his nature. He's going to wait. He's going to plan it out. Now, Jesus in here was alone. He fasted for 40 days and was by himself. Not very smart. Hang with me real, real quick. Because Jesus, yeah, perfect theology. We should model our life after Jesus. But this is an area that we do not want to model after Jesus, okay? He went by himself alone for 40 days. And there's a reason. I'll get to that in a moment. But when the Bible describes the enemy, it says that he's prowling around like a what? Like a roaring lion. I've been to Africa once, but I've never done the, the safari. My wife has a couple times. What's interesting about lions is they feed on herd, like prey, right? Caribou or a zebra or, you know, fill in the blank, some other hoppity animal that travels in herds. The lion cannot attack the herd. The lion has to isolate a single prey from the herd by itself. Are you with me? It's only prey when the animal gets separated from the herd. Now, if the enemy is trying to roar around, making all sorts of noise, and we are the herd, right? He's going to strategically time and position himself to try and get you out of the way. If you watch like the Discovery Channel or something, it's like really kind of graphic and really disturbing. You see like this like little baby zebra, like it's just going to get mauled, you know? And it's like, it got away. It got separated from the herd. Let us learn from this. Let us to know that not a single one of you guys ever needs to be alone. This is a powerful community here. There is a powerful and genuine spirit about us that we have concern for one another. Next week, we're just going to focus on building community because it's so strategic that not one of us gets isolated from the herd. It's not about being a, a clique. It's about looking after each other on behalf of each other. Now, why would Jesus do this? I'm saying don't do this. Why? Because you know that Hebrews 4.15, it says that we have the perfect priest, the high priest, that knows every single temptation to the max. That our high priest has to understand and know the fullest extent of temptation. He had to look the enemy in the eye in the fullest manner possible and be in the greatest position for temptation in order for him to be our righteous priest. That was part of it. If Jesus lived in a sheltered life the entire time with no temptation, we wouldn't really feel that there's sympathy there. We wouldn't feel like that Jesus understands. Are you with me? But in order that Jesus would be able to withstand the greatest temptation that you and I will ever face, he was in this position so that he would have victory for our model. I found this, this quote from C.S. Lewis. It's amazing. I'm just going to read it to you. It says, A silly idea 
is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by laying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. What, that is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. Just to marinate on that one real quick. You're giving in to sin, you're living a sheltered life. How's that one sit? They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is all, also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. The only complete realist. Holy cow, right? Yeah. Man. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff that Jesus designed that he would know to the fullest, something you and I would never know. But just because Jesus went by himself and he was alone for 40 days and fasted and was weak and isolated doesn't mean that you and I should ever model that. Galatians 6.2 says we should burden, we should uh, lay each other's burdens upon each other like we should be and mindful and care of each other. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says a, a cord of three stands is not easily broken. You and I are not designed to be lone wolves. But I want to leave you on this particular point with this. And I've heard this from, from Dwight Hill, who's a guy who speaks in my life. He says, prepare for the day of your great temptation. Prepare for the day of your great temptation when the moment's right, the position's right, the geography's right, the time's right, the moon's right. I don't know. The clothes are right. Who knows? He traveled the world and, and he, he knew that there was going to be some day that all the conditions were, were perfectly aligned and that he would be tested with his great temptation. He says, in that moment, you want to respond as Jesus responds. The second thing is Satan will counter every truth of God with a lie. Every single truth of God, the enemy will counter with a lie. Look at verse 3 again in Matthew 4. It says, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God. If you're the Son of God? Satan, like four verses ago, it just said, I'm the Son of God. What are you talking about? If you're the Son of God? You have to know that when God leads, the devil schemes. The very proclamation that God is well pleased with you is going to warrant an adversary who says God is annoyed with you. God is angry with you. God is, is condemning you. The very moment that God does something positive, he expresses the truth. The moment you receive that, there is now ammo for the adversary to come at you and, and, and provide that doubt, Right? I mean, it was kind of like a public moment, like the big dove, you know, like, you know, coming down on Jesus and the clouds parted, this is my son. You know, it's like, you really can't argue with that, but yet, in Jesus' temptation, he had the enemy says, if you are the son of God. If you are the son of God. If Satan is the father of lies, lies can only exist because there's truth. 
The lie that you hear and you receive, the only reason you're hearing it is because there's truth. How do you empower a liar? You believe his lies. That's so good. You empower the liar by believing his lies. When God speaks and he confirms something in your heart, there will, I promise you, there'll be an adversary that's going to try and steal that and try and question, like, now, did God really do that? Did the, what, was that really him? Did he really say that? Did he really move in your heart that way? That's going to be the weapon. It's the explicit will of God that you know that you know that you are God's son. So you got to know that the adversary is going to come in and yap at you. You're going to feel like, man, I don't know what that feels like. I don't know anymore, you know. But in the moment, you're like, this is awesome, you know. But like two days later, you're like, oh, was that, you know, I don't know. You know how it is. You all have been there. Say amen. <laughs> because the battle for, for God's truth is whether or not you can sustain the truth in you. The battle is not whether or not it's truth or not. We know it's truth. The battle for you is whether or not you can sustain the truth in you. Whether you can live by that truth, whether that truth can be part of you, whether you are living from that truth. Remember Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. They didn't sin because the apple was so delicious. You heard like Jim Gaffigan was like, you ever tempted by the apple? He's like, Come back with some caramel, maybe then, you know. He's like, not very tempted by it. I don't think the sin, it wasn't about the attractiveness of the tree. It wasn't like, oh, that fruit is so much better, you know. It wasn't that. The sin was that they doubted the truth of God. They doubted that God really said what he said to them. I'm going to read this. It says, you shall not eat from it or lest you die. This is Genesis 3.3. And then the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die, will you? He questioned the truth. The moment truth goes forward in your life, there'll be a question for that truth. There'll be a battle with whether you can sustain that or not, whether you can live from that. I think that's why in the Old Testament, you know, like, amazing things happened, you know, with people, and, and God's like, build this tower of rocks, you know? Like, we should be doing that, like, so we don't forget. It, like, seems like a good idea. Like, sometimes, like, you know, technology kind of hangs us up, like, we, we so easily forget the powerful things that God does. It'd be awesome we have like all these towers of rocks all over Sacramento. It'd be hilarious. We're like, what the heck is this movement going on? We don't want to forget. You know? <laughs> or do something. Do something. Whether you, you have a journal. I hate writing. I hate my handwriting. I write in all caps so it makes it like forever ever for me to like write anything and I'm like a total perfectionist like I hate how that looks you know like it's so stupid but I can type rather fast I do a little bit of journaling but I have a couple little documents I keep open and one is just spiritual truths one one powerful things like man this is so good I know I'm going to be a clown and forget this in a week I don't want to forget this little things like and we see them on Facebook different people like we minister to each other whether we're in here or not like, Facebook's a great area. Like, I just, what was the one I just read the other day? I think by Vacal. Where are you, Vacal? There you are. He's wearing red. It's hard to miss him. Uh, and he, he posts a quote that says that if uh, you do not live by the praise of men, you will not die by their criticism. I'm like, wow. Like, I'm going to tuck that away for a day. I really need that. But when God does something like that and it speaks to you, I think that you and I have a responsibility. Like, I can't forget this. Not that we get legalistic about it, but we allow ourselves to go into places where we invest in the things that God invests in us. 
If God is going to fold the full weight of heaven and speak to you, if he's going to give you revelation, if he's going to do powerful things among you, we better have a responsibility that it's going to have a lasting effect. Amen? The third thing is that Satan will use the word of God for your own self-destruction. Satan will use the word of God for your own personal self-destruction. Look at verse 6. And Satan says, And he said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels charge concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. The devil right here is quoting Psalms 91.11. Apparently the devil can read. Maybe you didn't know that. The devil can read. He knows the word. He knows what God is, is saying. He knows what you, what, what you believe. I don't, I don't know how all that works. I just, it's, it's here. And he says that the scriptures are a reason for you to throw yourself off of this temple. Are you, are you get, getting this? That, that the enemy just used the Bible to tell Jesus he should commit suicide. Are you with me? That the enemy just used the Holy Bible to tell Jesus why he should commit suicide. That was the, the, the trick. And if we're not careful with the Bible, we can look at it and we can really be harmed by the Bible. It says that the Bible is like the sword of the Spirit, right? It has the power to cut through flesh and bone and spiritual principalities and all these awesome things. Like we wage war from the sword of the spirit in Ephesians 6, 5, Ephesians 6. Don't shrug your shoulders, Mr. Ephesians. The armor of God. You guys know the chapter, right? But you can fall on your sword. Amen? You can fall on that which gives you life. You can fall on that which that frees you if you don't handle it properly. And if you don't look out for it being used against you, that's why that our commitment to the word, if there is, is one thing that we can never be okay with is that we have to know that this is truth. We have to know what it says. We have to know what it means. We have to know what it means for us. We have to understand it. Because lest that any one of us have the word used against us, we're all about the, the Lord moving, but it comes in a context where we, we know, Jesus, that your word is truth. We understand it. And it's something we're committed to. Those who know the Bible, you who have like the Bible, you read it with like, and it's truth. You know it's a love letter from the creator of the universe. You know that this, this book of, of dead trees, right? I mean, this is a love letter from the eternal king to every single one of us. But apparently, in the wrong hands, it's a weapon for suicide, for self-destruction. And in one word, if you're not careful, you could read 1 Corinthians 6. And you could, you could have someone who cherry-picks some verses out of the Bible. 1 Corinthians 6. If you've ever been greedy for a moment, if you took like two little rolls back there for turkey, you're going to hell. You're greedy. If you don't know the Bible, you'd be convinced, I was greedy, I'm going to hell. If you don't know the Bible, know what it means, you don't know its context, you don't know what it's saying, you would think that if you've ever been drunk, if you've ever been inebriated, that you are going to hell. If you don't know the word. You could read the word in that same passage. It says if you've ever spoken bad about anyone, slander, you are going to hell. Crazy. 
It's important that we do not let the word come against us and wage war against us. We don't need an extra battle. That doesn't take a whole lot. But we need to know when it's being used against us. And the other thing we can't let it do is we can't let the enemy use the Bible to underwrite our sin. We can't let the Bible underwrite our sin either. And no one needs to shake their head and say amen because I know that everyone here has done this. It's like when, when you consciously decide, okay, I have options here and I'm going to choose the bad decision here. In your mind, if you're saved, I am calling you out. Every single person in this room has, has thought in their mind like, God forgives sins. Like, it's okay. I'll just take a mulligan here. Like, you guys are all smiling. Like, oh, I got me. You know what I'm saying, right? Do not let the word become the insurance policy, the fire insurance, right? Like, don't let that be the permission for you to sin. It says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? It says, man, no, it may never be. Don't think like that. So in the same token, if you're not careful reading the word, you can read and say, man, I took two rolls of turkey back there. I'm going to hell. Or, you know, or in the same token, you can, you can read and be like, hey, it's a free-for-all. It doesn't matter. It's, I've got my sin to go do. Let's go get this on. You know, you, could, you could have it both ways. But when we understand the word, it's liberating, it's freeing. It's awesome. I love it. The last thing here is if Satan can make... If, if Satan can't make you fall, he will try and steal your heart. If he can't come at your flesh, if he can't come at your mind, if he can't question truth, he will come after your heart. Look at verse 8 and 9. It says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things will I give you if you fall down and worship me. I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. Who's the ruler of the world? Who's the ruler of the world? Yeah. Right? Like, oh, I forgot that. <laughs> Better not forget it. John 12, 31 says the end, Satan is the ruler of this world. I mean, we, we are resident aliens. It means that we do not have our citizenship here in the world. Our citizenship is here. We're just like visitors here. Amen? And that's why in 1 John 2.15 it says, do not love the world or anything in the world because if anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Why? Because the world belongs to the enemy. Are you catching me? It's important that we do not, in the attempt to disassociate Satan, to not uh, also lose track of that this is his domain too. That we can be completely aware of him, but love his stuff. We can love the way that he does things, but yet say we don't like him. It's, it's, you can't disassociate the two. And interesting, uh, on this word, uh, this Greek word here, proskuneo, apparently. I don't know how these things are pronounced. But, and the word for worship, this little Greek word here, it means something really interesting. It, it has a meaning that, that says that um, it's not necessarily like worship like, oh, oh devil, you are such a good devil. You know, it's like not like worship him, but it's, it's just, it means extreme reverence for or to have a, a superior importance to a superior importance to. Meaning, are we giving the enemy more credit than he deserves? Are, are, are we living with such a small God and such a big devil? I love Chris Valaton says, well, aren't you afraid of the, the Antichrist? He's like, why am I afraid of the Antichrist? The Antichrist is afraid of me, <laughs> you know? 
and it's powerful that, that we, we can't you know, project this huge you know, evil dominion over us because when we, when we sit subservient to the works of the enemy, we're really worshiping him. Are you with me? We say that we, we can't overcome this. He's superior. He is greater. He's of greater importance than I. You're buying into the lie. And I, I look at it because it's interesting that, that I look at my life and I think that the chance that I will be like, devil, I bow down to you. You know, it's like really slim. Like, I, I mean, come on. Like, you guys know, like, that in your heart, if you're really going to do something like that, like, you all kind of know, like, that's kind of extreme. That's kind of weird. Cults do that, maybe, you know. It's a little more extreme. But would the enemy be able to steal your heart with his stuff? The enemy is not necessarily looking for you to say, I worship you, Satan, but he's looking for you to be so cluttered, so absorbed with the things of this world that your heart gets removed from the presence. That suddenly, the presence, the heart, the, the knowledge of the king becomes just this background noise and all of a sudden cars and dirt bikes right now for me. You know, <laughs> or like, you know, money or careers or this girl or, you know, like we wrestle with those things about what consumes our heart. What is the object of our heart's affection, our heart's desires, our heart's longings? The object of your heart's longing is what you worship. The word says that where your treasure is, you'll find your heart. Where your heart is is where you'll worship. That's a good word. Where your heart is is where your worship is. Let me put it this way as well. Whatever brings you value is what you worship. Whatever brings you value brings, is, is, is worship. Whatever brings you value is what you worship. In other words, if you're like, I have to get this outfit because it makes me feel amazing. I'm sorry, it's, you're worshiping the outfit. You're worshiping something of the world. If you're like, I have to have X amount of dollars, I have to, you know, I look at my bank account and, oh, I feel all better. Or maybe it makes you terrified, right? Like, you, you worship the money. Are you guys with me? If your insecurity brings you value, you worship insecurity. Now, that sounds kind of backwards, right? I know a whole lot of people that really like their insecurity. You know, you know people I'm talking about? No one's in here like that, right? That your insecurity is actually a weapon. I, ha I, know, I know lots of people that their greatest thing in their life is that they're insecure and they're making everybody else pay for their insecurity. It is a weapon they use against people. It is a form of idolatry. Their insecurity is their God. They worship that insecurity so they can have an edge over everybody else. They can make you live it down. Don't do that. But wherever your value, wherever your security, wherever your peace, wherever any of that is not Jesus, you have a battle for your heart. You're not worshiping the devil explicitly, but the battle for your heart is the value that you derive from the things of life. If you feel that you get your full identity from being God's son, God's daughter, that is what every single decision flows from. You don't have that, that, that challenge. You don't have that issue. Not one of us have that kind of clarity. All of us are dealing with this. Why? 
Because many of us are at a point of strength in a relationship with God where the enemy, he knows he can't get you with you know, a little girl on, on a hook. Or maybe it's a guy on a hook. Or maybe he's not going to get you with that car. He's not going to get you, you know, with these things. But he will contend for something that wages your heart. He's going to go after something that can take your heart and take it from the presence of God, take it from the person of God and onto something. And I'm careful because I, you know, I'm in business and I have an awesome startup. I have a great group of people I work with and it would be so easy for me to have my identity be wrapped up in this business. It would be so easy for me to say my identity is this venture because the venture is going to do this, it's going to make money, it's going to do those things. But I know that in software, it, you couldn't be more high risk. And if the business falls and I fall, then what am I left with? If your identity is a guy and the guy leaves you or everything falls apart, what happens to your identity? We need to know the battle. If it can't be waged in our flesh, if it can't be waged in our mind, it's for our heart. Let's all stand. Jesus, we just thank you for tonight. Lord, we are just thankful, God, for your word that you have given us such clear instruction. And God, right now, as we just spend some time in worship, Lord, and Lord, we just come into your presence just to be loved on by you. Lord, we just pray that we would have eyes to see, Lord, when the enemy's coming. God, we don't give the enemy any more credibility, any more size, any more significance than he needs, Lord. And, and so we just first off say, God, you are bigger than anything that the enemy would ever try and do. Who we are by becoming your sons and daughters is so much grander and greater than anything that could ever be thrown at us. But Lord, we want to live a cut above. Jesus, we want to live a life that is, is grander and bigger and Lord has more for us. And so God, we pray that our eyes would be aware to the adversary. Jesus, I just pray that uh, as we just worship now, that you would speak to us in, in ways that would affirm our identity as sons and daughters. Lord, that we don't behave in certain ways because the Bible says do this or don't do this, but we behave because we know who we are. Jesus, let us to know who we are. And as we have uh, our prayer team and our people to the sides are going to pray, Lord, we just pray that you would just would enter us into ministry. That God, hearts and minds be drawn to, to being your sons and daughters. So Jesus, help us now as we worship. Amen.